The Old Testament reading is taken from Joel, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people, their like has never been seen before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the rumblings of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling, crackling of a flame of fire, devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march, each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Here ends Bible reading. Good morning, it's good to be with you again. So we have come uh, to the next part of this new series called Dozing Through Disaster, the book of Joel. Last week, uh, we looked with Ben at the devastating plague of locusts that is described in Joel uh, chapter 1, a plague that was used by God as a wake-up call to God's disobedient and unfaithful people. And today, our focus is on that first part of Joel chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 of Joel 2. My title is The Day of the Lord, because that is what Joel's prophecy here is all about. So here, again, is how that section begins. Chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. Well, we need God's help, so let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word that is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. And we pray that you'll speak to us this morning and that by the power of your Spirit, your Word would do its spiritual surgery on our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The devastation and disaster of this massive locust plague that has stripped the land bare is both an example 
of God intervening in righteous anger and also a pointer to the coming judgment, ultimately the final day of judgment that the Bible teaches inescapably lies ahead for us all. So this section of Joel makes for uncomfortable hearing. Joel's graphic language brings home to our hearts the reality of this coming judgment. When I was a young Christian in my teens, I was taught a gospel outline based on a number of key Bible verses. And one of them was Romans chapter 6, verse 23, which says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the whole of Joel chapter 2 is really a kind of Old Testament prophetic version of that one verse. We cannot grasp the amazing grace of the second part about the eternal life that we have in Christ if we haven't taken to heart the reality and justice of the first part about the fact that the wages of sin is death. Nor can we hear the first part without despair if we're not aware of the promise of life in the second part. So that's all the more reason to come back to hear the message of the second part of Joel chapter 2. Because there is great hope here. But first, we do have to heed the warning. And Joel 2, 1 to 11 is unrelenting in its insistence that the wages of sin is death. Now I want to take a closer look at these verses by asking three questions about this passage. First of all, what does this say about God? Secondly, what does this say about judgment? And then thirdly, what does this say about us? So we'll take each of those in turn. So first of all, what does this say about God? Well, for an answer to that, let me take you to the final verse of this section, verse 11. This is what it says. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? So what does this say about God? Three things. First of all, God speaks. Maybe we take that for granted, but we shouldn't. The living God is personal and he communicates by his word. And the word he speaks here is a word of judgment. The Lord utters his voice. Very vivid phrase, isn't it? And it gives the impression of very deliberate speech with every word weighed, thought through and intended. Secondly, God is powerful. That's explicit here in verse 11. He who executes his word is powerful. The day of the Lord that his word brings on is a great and awesome event, almost beyond our imagining. With those locust hordes in mind, Joel speaks of the Lord addressing a vast army which is entirely at his disposal. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. The living God, the God who speaks this word of judgment, is overwhelmingly and unchallengeably powerful. No person, no power can stand against him. And then thirdly, God 
executes his word. When God says something, he makes what he says happen. He who executes his word is powerful. This is what the prophets learned. God put his word into their mouths and it was a powerful word because when God speaks, God acts accordingly. So God said through Isaiah, my word shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. And Jeremiah said, using forceful imagery, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. It's Jeremiah 23, verse 29. So God is powerful and he executes what he says. A while ago I saw a fascinating play based on the true events surrounding the launching of the D-Day invasion of Normandy, codenamed Overlord. General Eisenhower was the supreme commander of the Allied Expeditionary Force. On the eve of D-Day, storms were threatening. James Stagg was Eisenhower's weatherman with the tricky task of predicting what the weather was going to do. But Eisenhower had to make the decisions. Eisenhower was powerful. An army of 126,000 people was ready to go with 7,000 ships and troop carriers and 10,000 vehicles. With a word, Eisenhower delayed the whole invasion. Stagg predicted a lull in the storms and then after a delay of one day, with a word, Eisenhower set Overlord going and what became a day of devastation was ultimately also a day of deliverance. But the power and effect of Eisenhower's word was nothing in comparison to the power and the effect of the word of the living God. What does our passage tell us about God? He speaks, he is powerful, and he executes his word. So to our next question. Secondly, what does this say about judgment? Well, again, three things. First of all, the day of the Lord is coming. Remember that the day of the Lord is the way the prophets referred to the day of judgment. And we need to be clear that it is on its way. Joel uh, chapter 2 verse 1, Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Just as surely as that horrifying plague of devouring locusts had swept irresistibly through Israel, so the day of the Lord would also arrive. Why should anyone doubt that? Because we all too readily doubt the word of God, such as our arrogance. And because in its final form, the day of the Lord has not yet happened. There was this day of judgment that came in the form of a destructive locust plague. There was the day when judgment fell not on God's disobedient and unfaithful people, but on their representative and substitute, Jesus, on whom the wrath of God against our sins was poured out. God himself, in the person of his Son, bearing the brunt of that day of the Lord, so we might escape as we put our trust in him, and as we remember in the Lord's Supper that we're going to share later on. And there is the final day of judgment, 
when the Lord Jesus returns. And on that day, God's unrepentant enemies will be destroyed and God's repentant and trusting friends will be rescued for eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. Secondly, the day of the Lord is near. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. When it will come, we do not and we cannot know. But it is almost upon us. As the Apostle Peter says in answer to the scoffing of the cynics, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's 2 Peter 3, verses 8 to 10. So the day of the Lord is coming, the day of the Lord is near. And thirdly, the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Chapter 2, verse 11, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? We're very slow and reluctant to take this warning on board, just as were the Israelites to whom Joel was speaking. That's why he uses that locust plague to bring home to them the reality of it and to bring that home to us, to our hearts and to our imaginations. And Joel piles up graphic metaphor on graphic metaphor. The day of the Lord is like that locust plague. That plague is like a forest fire raging across the landscape, ravaging everything in its wake. Verse 3, fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness and nothing escapes them. And the day of the Lord is like the invasion of an army of unprecedented scale and ferocity sweeping through a land and operating a scorched earth policy. And then verses 4 to 6, in those verses, those images of the fire and the army are combined. So verse 5, as with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble. And then verses 7 to 9 conjure up the way that this vast army of locusts cannot be kept out of anywhere. And they're totally and terrifyingly unstoppable. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. And so overwhelming will it all be that creation itself will be shaken to the core. Verse 10, the earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. So it's all pretty frightening. To give a somewhat eccentric illustration, I think of my elderly mother who fell and broke her hip. Almost immediately she went under the surgeon's knife. A rather frightening prospect. What was this surgeon going to do? He was going to remove my mum's hip. If that's all you knew, that would be devastating. 
and it was devastating for the old hip. But of course, the destruction was for the ultimate purpose of reconstruction. And my mum came home a few days later with a new and pain-free hip. So we have to have an eye beyond the judgment. But the judgment is coming. It's near. And it's great. And it's very awesome. Which brings me to the last of my three questions. So thirdly, what does this say about us? Well, once more, three things. First, we should sound an alarm. That's Joel's call to God's people in verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. The alarm is really sounded by the word of God, of course, but our witness to the gospel of Christ has to include this warning of danger ahead. The house that I grew up in had a, quite a large garden, and my siblings and I discovered that right at the far end of it, half buried below ground and hidden beneath the undergrowth, was a strange concrete structure with a little door. And our parents told us what it was, an old World War II air raid shelter. When the sirens sounded and wailed out the warning that the bombers were on their way, the general idea was not to ignore them, but to get yourself down the garden and into the shelter as quickly as possible and to safety. That's the point of sounding the alarm about the coming day of the Lord. It's to get as many as possible under the sheltering cover of the cross of Christ. Secondly, we should tremble at God's word. On to the next part of verse 1. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. There is a right fear of judgment to come. It's not the kind of fear that causes us to flee from God or to bury our heads in the sand and refuse to face up to what's ahead. Right fear is the kind that causes us to flee to God and to throw ourselves on his mercy. And in the light of that, thirdly, we should face up to the question, who can endure the day of the Lord? Verse 11, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And the point is, of course, that no one can endure it. Only God can save us from it. And that's what he has done through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But if we're going to be rescued, then we have to turn back to him and we have to keep on turning back to him. Which is why we're going to be returning to Joel and to those words from verse 13 of this chapter, just beyond our passage. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are just and holy, gracious and merciful. Thank you for your patience towards us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Help us, Heavenly Father, to face up to the reality of the coming day of judgment. Please work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit so that we tremble at your word. Teach us to rely on you alone for rescue. 
and help us to play our part in sounding the warning to a lost world in peril. Pray these things in the name of our Lord and our Saviour Jesus. Amen.